Oh, right. The new episode of Doing Disney, the new episode of Doing Disney focusing on the Emperor's New Group, the episode chosen specifically to talk about the Emperor's New Group, the Emperor's New Group episode. That episode? Got you covered. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. I'm so incredibly excited today because we're talking about not just one of my favourite Disney films, but probably just one of my favourite films ever. I've had to bring in a ringer for this one. It's Cody Newberry. Cody, thank you for joining me today. Hello. Hello. I'm excited. Uh, Emperor's New Groove. Arguably one of the funniest Disney movies out there. I would say it's top two for me. So, yeah, I was really excited to get the call for this one. Start at the beginning. The Emperor's New Groove, released in the year 2000, directed by Mark Dindle and starring David Spade as Cusco, John Goodman as Parcher, Bertha Kitt as Yzma and Patrick Warburton as Kronk. Emperor Cusco summons village leader Parcher to the palace to discuss Cusco-topia, his summer home he wants to build where Parcher's house is, leaving Parcher to return home disgruntled. He also fires his advisor Yzma, who has been trying to run the kingdom behind his back. At dinner that night, she has her assistant Kronk poison him, but instead of poison, it is extract of llama, which transforms Cusco into a llama. Kronk attempts to dispose of Cusco, who ends up being taken back to Parcher's house. We then focus on Parcher and Cusco's journey back to the palace, as well as Yzma and Kronk's pursuit of them when it is found out that Cusco is still alive. The film culminates in a showdown at the palace, where Yzma is turned into a cat and Cusco is returned to his human form. In the end, Cusco and Pacha make amends, becoming friends, as Cusco builds his summer home on the hill next door to Pacha. Tale as old as time. So, Cody, what are your first memories of the film? I think it's, like, one of my first ones I actually saw in theatres. I mean, that I really, like, remember. I remember Dinosaur. Um, not great. Um, and then it was just, like, this and Monsters, Inc. and stuff. So, yeah, this was, like, one of the ones that I just remember vividly. I always will picture, like, the llama in the rain just sitting, like, at the start of the film. I'm like, that's just, like, brings back those core memories. So, yeah, absolutely. Probably one of my first ones that I actually really, really remember in the theater. I'm absolutely in the same boat. I vividly remember seeing this one because it's 2000. We've had Fantasia 2000, which was a hard watch in theatres. I remember that experience as well for a completely different reason. Just wanting to leave the theatre as like an eight or nine-year-old kid going, what have I got myself into? Um, Dinosaur, I missed completely. I did not see that one until recently. And I feel like I dodged a bullet, absolutely. But Emperor's New Groove, I remember seeing in the theatres and it being completely empty totally private viewing because this is one that just did not hit at the time it's one that's become much beloved later on that people have caught on disney channel on tv on dvd vhs it was not one that did well at the box office because we're coming off of the three that i just mentioned but also tarzan mulan hercules it's like the latter end of the renaissance and people just weren't here for it they're like there's this llama movie and they just didn't turn up which is kind of crazy at the time because I mean, the 90s was the the top time in Disney. So basically, they should have been rolling with like a loaded gun where you just trust them with anything at that point. But I think like Fantasia and then Dinosaur both being the follows, mm-hmm. parents probably got burned back to back and was like, I'm not watching a llama film. Like, 
they couldn't do dinosaurs. I'm not watching Llama. And I just remember like now being a parent when you take your kid to see a theater a movie and you're like miserable, but they're enjoying it. <laughs> you're just like, gosh, I wish you hated this as much as me. But that was like my that was like my dad with a dinosaur. He hated it, wanted mm. to leave the whole time. Mm. But this one like was the one like I noticed my dad laughing through the movie. So you oh, like nice. that's imp- when the when when the humor worked for adults too. That's when. But yeah, I, I remember too it not being as busy as past movies for me. I just remember like, why are we here like with hardly anybody in it? It's weird. It's funny when you touch on um our humor for adults as well because we're a year before Shrek, and I think Shrek's the game changer there. So maybe this was just a little bit ahead of its time, and with the yeah. bad marketing publicity and on the roll so that's why we didn't find it till later because i remember getting it on dvd the shiny two disc dvd version watch all the special features this is like back in the day when you're a kid and you had like a very minimal dvd collection so you watched every special feature that was on that was there a game attached to this dvd because i think there was like some sort of bonus feature game i don't know something like the in the cook scene or whatever i remember that too I remember Bonus getting this games. You just unlock something. I remember the Harry Potter one very vividly, tapping on yeah. the X game to die. <laughs> that was the shit. There were some gems on those DVDs that they don't have anymore. Kids wouldn't even understand what that means. Like, <laughs> Disney Plus should really like figure a way to incorporate that on there. That I would agree. be it's like the it's like the gag reels in like Pixar movies when they stopped Ooh. doing those. Those were just gems at the time. But yeah, I remember that DVD very, very vividly. <laughs> It's my favourite part because you'll see. So, Cody, what's your favourite scene of the film? There's a ton to pick from. I I mean, I don't, like, I don't want to ruin it, but I would say, like, the ending when all the animals change, I think that's, like, one of those favourite. But I love the opening to this movie probably more than most just because it gives you every character that you're going to need or want from this. And, like... The voiceover from David Spade just works so well. Like, I, I don't want to do my quote at this point, but, like, there's a flow introducing Yzma and, like, going through all, like, the town business and interrupting when he throws off the groove. That entire scene just shows me where I'm in for this character, and then I'm fully on board. There's other scenes that I really like and have, but that first scene is something that, when a movie grabs you like that, and I'm like, this character is a character sucks kind of like I, like gosh like how can you root for this and then he gets you know the comeuppance but like that's why i think that first scene the first not when he's in the rain but like when he first go when you first meet cusco as a human the perfect world song on with yeah. like the intro yeah yes i think the intro to this movie is so smart with what they do and like the little things that they pick up like when he's eating and like they zoom out him taking a bite of food like and the like is painted down on the the ground like there's just so many smart things he's got like an uh the the intro song guy like he just pops out of the cake like there's just so many like egotistical things that they just throw in on this movie that makes him that character and it just works for me I, that's why when i first started i was like i have this podcast I, I i've seen this movie so many times i can quote it back to you but i was like eh, i can watch it and then when i was watching that first scene i was like i'm in it for the whole thing like this is just great so yeah i think that first scene is great when he kicks down the door and he does his like little dance like i'm doing it too like it's yeah so good, so good. But- it's just so bombastic and over the top. And it's like yeah. Prince Ali if it's been repurposed for yeah. this really selfish character. That's so good. That's a good point. Like, it is very Prince Ali vibes. And, like, 
these people have to, it's just like such like you know kingdom kind of thing people coming to the the thing to talk and plead their case in front of the the emperor like it's just ridiculous but it's great that's just a perfect thing to introduce this character and the narration is something really different like we haven't got a lot of that at the time and so the david spade like almost the madness deadpoolness of it all sort of, yeah. of what he's doing throughout the film as we, as i just said it's like a little bit ahead of its time really yeah you're right there was like deadpool like almost you know oh my god 16 years before <laughs> deadpool like the movie came out like it's crazy I think one of my favorite scenes is when um, Apache and Cusco return to Apache's uh, house and Yzma and Kronk already there towards the end of the film because, as we sort of say, like, this is a comedy and so the slapstick gags that they put throughout this film is so great and I really like um, Chicha Apache's wife a lot. Wendy Malick brings a lot of warmth to that character where she's like assertive but sweet and soft and we don't get a lot of scenes with her but what we do get I think is fantastic and rounds out Pacha as a character a lot more as well when you get to see his family and his home life so I like when Isma's there and it's I'm his third cousin's brother's wife step niece's great aunt twice removed and she's just there and just uh-huh and it's those vibes of maybe you don't get it as a kid, but when you're an adult and you just want someone to leave your house, you just want someone, you just want an out of this conversation, but you have to be needlessly polite to this person. She gives me all of that. Just, no, please, allow me. <laughs> She's so good. And, of course, we get um Kronk skipping with the kids. And it's like, when I say go, we go. Okay, go. And the ropes start turning and there's no one holding one of the handles and the rope's still going. It's so well done. It just leans into how ridiculous, like, kind of like Disney. I would, uh, this is one of the movies that, like, leans into how, like, silly Disney magic really is at times. Mm. Like, because that was always the excuse growing up. Like, how does this happen? Disney magic. How does this? It's just Disney magic. Just enjoy it. So this one's, like, really leans into how, like, ridiculous some things are. But yeah, the there's in the states it works a little bit easier. We're able to get people out of their house. But yeah, that that scene is like you show like more love the Pacha like, and just like he becomes more like why he's doing what he's doing. It kind of breaks down the door for all. But yeah, Isma and Kronk in there are just and, and added to it. And that's what this movie has that a lot of other Disney movies don't. Is such a simple character outline. There's not many. So they have to be so strong on the four that they really have, and they do it so well. So, like, that's just – and then they, even the side characters don't get a lot, like Pacha's um, uh, wife and kids. But, like – and then their, their gags that ensue, it's slapstickish, but it works because it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it makes it's kind of situational comedy that just plays really well in animation. It gives me those Marx Brothers moments to some degree. Like, it really harkens back to that because then you get um, the tables that turn and Kuzco's like, are you sure you're okay to leave your family with them? Oh, they can handle themselves. And just turn the doorknob. Are you sure? And then Isma going down the hill into the honey, into the into the feathers to become the pinata. It's great. Conk walking out completely oblivious. We have to do this again. Like, Kronk's always the cherry on top of a scene just with how he's put into it like he's so oblivious to what's happening around him and just there for a good time and it's just great and then i'll touch on just a little bit the next part of that scene turns into wacky races which i love when it's the chase back to the palace and you see Cusco and Pacha running and then you've got um the, you see their markers on the on the ground 
and Kuzco and Yzma just look down like, what is happening? And they look behind, oh, sorry, Kronk and Yzma look behind them and they've got markers going as well. And yeah. just those little touches, it's like, um, as oh, said it again and again, it's so ahead of its time because then we get the Muppets travel by map. That's what it feels like. How'd you guys beat us here? By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those Disney magic like lean-ins too. They're mm. like, how did you get us? Nah, just happened. Like it just <laughs> goes right into it and it accepts where it is and it knows. I mean, this movie, like other Disney movies, some animation movies take themselves way too seriously, and then sometimes they just don't hit for people. I think that's one of the reasons Dinosaur doesn't hit as hard for other people. This one says, this is an emperor that turns into a llama, and (laughs) this is where we're going to do. Like, And it owns up to how ridiculous of a concept that really is, and just goes with it and accepts it. And then, again, this could have fallen flat on its face. But I think the cast of like Goodman and Patrick Warburton and um, I can't think of who plays Yzma, but David Spade. It's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they just have a comedic timing with themselves yes. that works so well that sells this movie. That That's why I think it's some, it's, it's mixed in our community in our film community, but like some people don't think it's as funny, but I think it's when you grew up, like yes. I can understand some dads or somebody past it, not finding this as funny, but if you grew up and saw this, you know how like it hits still to this day it still hits to this day and yeah those roadmap ones i was watching i just saw it i was just like when they cut the core it's like a good like it's a good chase scene honestly if you think about it in the room but like they of course it has wings it's ready to fly around it's just it's a great scene great scene i love that you touched on like how everything works because this is a movie we know had a horrendous production behind it all it had to be rewritten and ended up being absolutely nothing sort of like what it was intended so it's funny that we get similar with frozen many years later like it was really hard to crack that story and then that becoming a big hit i think it was very hard to crack this story and i i think well the end product we end up with is fantastic cody is there any other favorite scenes you have from the film that end scene when the the potions are getting exchanged is like comedy gold it really is I will still lie. I don't, and if this is your lie, I don't want to steal your lie. But like, it's, one, it. of the, it's one of the Take best it. lines. It's like, I've turned into a cow. Can I go home? That's just so brilliant of a thing. When the way they turn into a whale and then this and like Yzma finding out she's a cat and be like, is that my voice? Like the, just the situational stuff. It's straight slapstick. It states three stooges, that kind of comedy, but it works so well because that's when I'm a kid. I'm thinking the entire time, well, they had a they had a llama extract, basically. What else do they have? And they have every animal available. And like that just added to the more like that's just added to more of the characters. And I just thought it was brilliant choice. Um, great action, figuring it out. And I would the other scene that I really enjoy is when Pacha and him like have to work together to get up that hill. Like when they're mm-hmm. all those things when they had to get work together. I love the line where he's like, this would be really bad if you're a really big fat guy. That one kills for, or like the, sh- I've quoted for my entire life is, is that a waterfall? Yeah. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Uh-huh. Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. Like, <laughs> all the time. I've said it every time. Anything bad situation happens, customers are coming in a store when I work retail. Uh, sharp rocks at the bottom? Bring it on. It's just so good. Those scenes, top notch. It's a, it's a buddy cop, buddy road trip movie. Oh, of two really. opposing throats that just works so well. And don't overstay its welcome, which is important. 
the other one that stood out to me is the Mudkins Mud Hut scene. I like that one when both parties at the restaurant because that is really good situational comedy as well. That's the old style with the revolving door and changing the orders and cronk, cronk, as I said, just jumping into anything full-heartedly. I love when he just suddenly becomes the chef. It's um and cut the steak into the shape of a trout. You got all that, honey? Or <laughs> dying it, or well, I don't know what he's. I can't remember, but he's like, yeah, we're, we're like when it's getting busy in the kitchen and Eason's like ready to go. He's like, we're cooking. Like it's just so good. Patrick Warburton, his so how much. he talks makes that com- makes the comedy work even better. But uh, what's also good is at the end of that scene, you have you've had Pacha and Cusco on the same page, and this is that turning point where. Cusco's not believing Parcher and then has to overhear Yzma and Kronk. So you get that little bit of betrayal and having to come back together. So it's still, you're getting comedy, but you're still pushing plot and pushing a bit of tension, which is nice. Right. I agree. You ain't never had a friend like me. Cody, who's your favourite character from the film? I mean, my heart would probably, now that I'm a dad, I would probably lean towards Pacha a little bit. But it's, it's Kronk. It's, it's the reason there was a sequel to this movie. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a reason. He is just so funny. Um, and especially how like straight uh like played by Yzma is. That's a perfect foil to that. But like the Spanish puffs, the 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 angel and demon moment, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the Cusco's poison, like the stuff that he's breaking down his head. That that uh, peasant that I left at the one spot, blah blah blah, with his car. <laughs> like his breakdown and realization of everything. It's just so it's speaking squirrel, which should be the dumb one of the dumbest moments <laughs> in this film, but works so well. Have you seen my acorn? It's just he is one of the perfect, the best side characters in Disney history. He just really is because a character that should be stupid is stupid. But should annoy people like mm-hmm. with what the stuff. But he moves the story along. He's he's voiced so well, and all just a downright good guy. Just wrong situation. That's the best thing to say about him. He just doesn't know any better. He's always helpful, but but he's a, he's the bad guy also, which is crazy. Adds that extra layer of comedy into it. So you're, yeah. you're rooting for him no matter what. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said about Kronk. It's the standout character of the film, obviously, because he, then he gets his own spin-off. Um, Patrick Warburton has that distinct voice where you know when you're listening to a Patrick Warburton character in a second. Yet every character is still a little bit different, which is great. It's not like I'm hearing the same repetitive thing. So what he brings to Kronk is that earnestness in whatever he's doing, which is fantastic. He's not the brightest bulb, but he's still hilarious in all these interactions with Yzma and with himself, with the angel and demon. Uh, obviously, the dinner scene is really good for me with more spin- more broccoli. <laughs> I never liked your spinach puffs. <gasps> never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when you mix up the glasses and everything, so it's very great. But the, the moment I fell in love with Kronk is when he's running uh, with Cusco through the town. And does this guy have his own theme music? And he's sneaking through the town because that's something I'll still even recreate now. He just they gave that the guy. He's, is he playing his own theme music? So. <laughs> what are some of the other characters? How do you feel about uh, Pacha? Pacha, you said, would be probably your close second. And that's, I agree. That's one I, I love more as an adult now, for sure. I mean, I, I, I said that. I, I If I actually had to like pick, I'd probably put Yzma higher because I really just think that's great. But Pacha. 
Pacha would get a bad rap mostly in this movie because Pacha is the most like down to earth one. Yeah, he's a bit of a stick in the mud from the story. Yeah, movie. but like he brings when they when they have those moments when uh, Cusco and him are like battling with each other and they finally see eye to eye. You have that heart of the film. Um, he just wants he worked hard for his family, what he's done for his family, and he just wants stuff and. I mean, think about it. <laughs> the, the guy of the story calls him to the town, the, the palace to say, hey, you're moving out and I'm putting my summer home there. Like, what? Just to think about that reaction and him, ha- and then like Cusco not seeing it, but like him just having, just not giving in to Cusco as basically the only person that's ever not given to Cusco. And then he ends up literally becoming like his ride or die in this entire situation where they realize he can't beat Pacha basically. So he's got to join him at this point. And then they actually find a real love for each other and a real, like, you know, I mean, at the end of the film, he's moving in next door to like, he has a spot next to him. And those are just those special moments that he, and John Goodman is just, he has that, he has that voice that just brings you in. It's the same thing in monsters Inc. He has that, like bring you in, like, that you can trust this guy and yeah it's just it's top tier it's top tier he's one of the best voice actors i think i wish he did way more animated on top of it what he does but yeah pacha's great pacha is definitely the heart and soul of the film he's so gentle caring compassionate but he's not a pushover he's still a very assertive character which i like he's not just a doormat so i think of the scene where um they're making the deal and he holds out his hand and he's so serious. You just get that straightforward look on his face. Don't shake unless you mean it. And that comes back to what, as what you were saying with John Goodman. That's the delivery of that line where there's warmth in it because he's being so serious. Like it's, he's not saying it harshly. He's saying it very softly, but very, yeah, assertively to, to, to Cusco because he is, he's a, just a genuine, he's a genuine character. He's a genuine guy. He's a, he seems to be like a great village leader, cares for his family, all that sort of thing. So he's in a leadership role and, and a caring role. So he's, he's fantastic. And what I like is that then they shake hands and you get that uplifting music and he so exuberantly shakes Cusco's hand. Just, all right. It's, it's, and it's all John Goodman. It's all in that delivery there. Right. So Absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. Let's, um, let's talk about the main man himself. What are your thoughts on Cusco? I mean, if you would have told me today that a character is being, like, this is the first role and it's being cast by David Spade, I'd be like, I'm not on board with this. Yeah. I think it was the perfect timing, honestly. True. I think if this is 10 years later or 10 years earlier, I don't think it has the same delivery. It's kind of a, I don't, like, Joe Dirt time for him. Like, he's <laughs> not he's not at the peak at this point, but he has, like, he's a character that, honestly, like that's the thing. Like if this was solely on him, this movie wouldn't work. Like at all. Like I, you don't. He doesn't have that. He has the foil of uh, Eastman Kronk, and he has the foil of Pacha on both sides that basically makes him realize things. But I think David Spade's acting is so smart. He's the perfect. He's almost like the perfect actor to do the Ferris Bueller or the Deadpool like fourth wall break to bring things into it. Like because he's got like a he got like a kind of kiddish voice. Like, when he says stuff, like, he sounds like a spoiled brat that didn't get his way most of the time. Like, and that works for the character. 
he has very funny lines. I love some of them, like like when he first introduces Yzma, and he's like, this is proof that dinosaurs once earned, uh, rolled, uh, the what, oh, yeah, yeah roamed the earth. Um, I love that part. It's just so funny. Um, you're being like, oh, you're we're moving in a different <laughs> direction. We're not picking up your options, blah, blah, blah. I have a lot more. Just the bluntness of him. And Cusco says the things that sometimes we all wish we could say. Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. if we're being real, like sometimes you have that friend or that person that just doesn't understand things. And to grant it, he has every right to let Yzma go. Like, <laughs> she's trying to take his did, job. <laughs> she's trying to take over his job. She has the right, he has the right to cut her loose. She doesn't handle it the best, which makes sense. But, and then, I mean, just an ultimate dick. He throws an elderly man out the window. Like, I think there are moments in this movie that Cusco is more evil than Yzma. Because, like, he throws an elderly man out the window. Luckily, he catches the things. He gets wrapped up in the thing and doesn't die. He tell makes a uh, he makes Pacha travel all that distance, which we know how far that distance really is after they have to run from the spot. And just to tell him, hey, by the way, you need to look for different real estate because I'm moving into your spot. That's just crazy to me. But like his little moments, his uh, that he turns around, like him and that little squirrel in the balloon, and like the, <laughs> they all just come on him. Those are just moments that you. You know, most and again, this is the right time frame because he yes. has that whiny kitty voice at points, and that would annoy like most people. But for me, it makes it work. And I, I've actually showed this movie to my kids, and they love it too. They think it's so funny because, and that that's so reassuring to me that the comedy still holds from when I saw it. Because the one of the worst things is showing my kid a Disney movie that I love, and then they're like, oh, I'm like. I don't what get do you it. Mean yeah. like what? Are you, what did you not see? We need to rewind something. So yeah, Cusco has David Spade just delivering those lines with Pacha. Basically, he's so annoying, and everybody else is kind of so grounded that mm. he doesn't wear on me throughout the film. He kind of works for me. And then when he also flips the switch, he's one of the most likable characters. So that's important too. I agree. Um, David Spade really gets the character and the mannerisms, and he plays it so snarky and they are using a lot of modern dialogue like what we would use like you're being let go and things like that so it really puts it in that time frame of that late 90s early 2000s feel but it works because it's that juxtaposition of the olden times and mixed with the modern dialogue but i agree there are the moments of him being scared confronted lonely so you get levels to it and that's probably why it doesn't wear they seem to hit the peaks and valleys at the right time with the character and the humor so he's very selfish but very funny. We get introduced to him in this big elaborate song, so we know it's all about him. But you know who this character is when he's speaking to that line of women. Hate your hair, yikes, yikes, likes, and let me guess, you have a great personality. Yeah. <laughs> that is so rough. But it tells you who this character is in an instant. And then I like that it's not a sudden change. It's not that, oh, Pach is nice to him one time and he's a completely different person. We need to get, like, middle to halfway over the film for him to start getting that change apart and working together. So, like, Pachi will come in with the poncho and you sort of see it being reflected, but it's not that instant change. It's taking, it's wearing that selfishness and those layers down. So I really like the progression that we get with the character. 
No, yeah, I forgot about that scene. I remember when it happened, I was like, I wanted to make a note of it to bring it up. But yeah, like, let me guess. You have a great personality. I'm like, <laughs> this is 2000s. Like, that's a <laughs> scene to say right there. I'm like, and she, like, you see her reaction. To like, oh, I mean, she like, wants to kill him. Absolutely. <laughs> like, he's so, like, stuck up in his own head and looks. He just doesn't see. It's crazy to me. Listen well, all of you. Well, that's a good segue. What are some of the best quotes of the film? And this is the hardest I've struggled with this category because, as you said, this is a straight-up comedy. So the zingers there are amazing, and I'm very much the same. There are quotes I will use in my everyday life or at a D&D session that no one will understand. But for me, it's hilarious. So, like, I'll just be like, oh, you threw up my groove. No one yeah. will get it, but I don't care. But it works for everyday life. Cody, yeah. what are some of your favourites? Um, I think I've quoted, like, my favorite one is, um, we'll have to deny your quest. You should have, uh, uh, what are you, for food? Uh, well, you should have thought about that before you became a peasant, <laughs> which was just so great. But my favorite one, it's from Yzma. It's when she gets let go and she's in the thing. Is like, I got a plan. I'll turn it into a flea, a harmless little flea. And then I'll put that flea inside a box. And I'll put that flea inside another box. And then I'll mail that box. When it arrives, smash it with hammer. I have that in my notes as well. Yes. I say that quote more times. I don't even know. Like when I when somebody makes me mad, I'm like, I'll turn him into a flea, a harmless little flea. And it's her delivery of that line that mm -hmm. like she is underrated as an actor actress. Like right. she really is, because like she's also in holes as Madame Zeroni, right? Isn't that her? I'm not, am I wrong? Am I right? I don't know. I think she is. I think she's the same part that plays Madame Zeroni. But like how she does, delivers those lines, so funny. Um, but yeah, like that line I've said so many times. I've already said the one that I also would say is like, uh, if I turn into a cow, can I hold? Like, so just uh, top notch stuff. Oh, uh, you're just reading exactly off my notes I've got. Um, and it's because of the, uh, the kit. I'll smash it with a hammer. <laughs> it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> and then I'll pretend into a cow. Can I go home? The other one I really like is, and I never liked your spinach puffs. Never. <laughs> it's just the delivery. Never. <laughs> and as, it's absolutely all out the kit. The other, probably the most famous, most memorable one, pull the lever, cronk. Wrong lever. And again, in any other actress, that's not a line. But with the pronunciation of Earth and the articulation that Eartha Kitt gives it with lever, that's what makes it memeable. That's what makes it go on and on. And, why do and we have people, that lever? Why do we like, even have that lever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just making sure. She is in, also in the Disney movie Holes, which is just top tier. But yes, I think that's the thing. I think Eartha Kitt's like being the villain. Like, mm -hmm. oh, like, and then like the spinach, like in her teeth. How long has that been there? Like those stuff, like, those are those moments in this movie that just makes like because it's kind of like the thing it's saying what we want to say at times or realize when we realize something like somebody's in something team like oh yeah how long has that been there like do i say it now we've been talking for like 30 minutes do i bring that up now like this is just uncomfortable and she, he's just saying it inside his head but yeah earthy and the like I also like the angels and demons, like the angel and demon moment. Was like, look at the whole thing he's playing. It's called a harp. Well, it doesn't matter. Like, just, in a like, dress robe. <laughs> yeah, just. And the by robe. the way, let me see what I can do. What's that got to do with that thing? No, no, no. He's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like, yeah, and like, uh, yeah, just 
I, I my my main quotes are always Eartha Kitt. I think she's just one of the. T- I honestly consider her one of the top tier villains, like of a character, like one I think of when I if I had to rank stuff, she'd be up in my list. I love I love Yuzma. This is your badness level. So let's get into it. How evil is the villain? What are your thoughts on Aizma Cody? I don't think she's that evil. And I know that's a little crazy to say, but I don't. I think she's justified. She works her, she worked however long for an ass. Like, he's awful. I would just, like, Cusco's awful. And for her to want to take him out and then technically have the entire thing for herself, which she was doing because the only reason she would be doing the job in the first place is because he's clearly not doing it. Like, if you think about it, like, he only notices when he's in, not in his own world. But, like, Yzma just, I, I've stayed on Yzma is justified with her actions. Does she handle it the best? No. But I wouldn't blame her. She works that hard and then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you're getting fired. No, like, conversation. Then they invite her back over and she's like, he's like, so what are you going to do? You worked there for a long time. Like, you just fired me. Like, how? Yeah, I would want to kill him too at that point. What's the difference between Jafar and Yzma? How are they different characters? Because I I agree, Yzma's less evil, but I'm trying to think, why do we think Jafar's more evil than Yzma? Because it's very similar positions in a royal vizier, advisory role, who wants to take the throne from an incompetent person. So I think there's a little difference here. And the only reason I think there's a little difference is Jafar brainwashes Sultan throughout the movie and basically gives him no choice to do what he does. And also, like, make Jasmine, like, there's a lot of, like, problematic stuff in Aladdin overall, but I love Aladdin, so I'm not here to cancel Aladdin, but I'm just saying, like, if you're, like, Jafar's top-tier villain because Jafar, like, basically makes Sultan incompetent and then also, like, makes, uh, they're trying to get Jasmine a husband and he, like, I'm going to step in. Like, no, that's not going to happen, you weirdo. Like, that's like, yeah. But yeah, I think that's the reason Jafar is. But that was okay. really close. That's a real quick flip because I would say, yeah, if there wasn't brainwashing, no, he, that yeah, guy's incompetent. Same. I'm clearly smarter than this. I know what I'm doing. Give me the power. Basically, all kings and like emperors and sultans are basically just put there by like bloodline and not by like <laughs> elections or standards. So it would be really hard to be a servant and be like, this guy's freaking stupid. I want the job. Just put me in the job. But I'm not, I wasn't married in the right family. So, especially yeah. if you're smarter and more competent and had to work your way up to an advisory role, like, of course, right. that next step would be just right there all the time. <laughs> But I love that they um, flesh out Yzma as her character where she's got her secret lab and her potions and poisons and whatnot. That's just such a great little extra mad scientist layer when she's in the coat, feel the power (laughs) crook. It's great. And Cusco knows about it and doesn't do anything about it. Like, she has that secret lab. You didn't shut that down at some point? Like, you're the emperor. Like, there's the problems. Like, Cusco's, it's Cusco's bad management of his his palace (laughs) that allows Yzma to rise to power. We've touched on it, but um, I knew nothing of Eartha Kitt before the film because this is 2000s. I'm quite young, so I don't know anything about, like, Catwoman or any of the previous work she's done. So, to me, she just is Yzma. 
it's, it's one and the same. It is a great match of a voice actress to a character. It's a one of those one of the kind um, lightning in a bottle moments. So the way she, as I said, she articulates the words, the different inflections she puts into the words. That's what I find imitating all the time. Um, but to save on postage, just the way, the different way that she voices it, it's fantastic. So the theatricality is what elevates that character. Um, I love when they're mourning Cusco, she's putting the whole to-do on, she's in the in her um, black garb and, well, you ain't getting any debtor, rips it off into this cabaret, big feather sequin dress, perfectly mirroring what we saw with Cusco at the start and his perfect world scene, that she gets her big bombastic moment um, with all the regalia and all the cooking and things like that and just lounging on the chase lounge. I love that they put those showgirly sort of moments into it. That's what makes it. Yeah, I told it. That's the scene that I didn't mean, just saw. But yeah, man, getting any better. Like, that's just a perfect – and I'm with you with Eartha Kitt. Um, yeah, never saw Catwoman at the time. Didn't know she was Catwoman. Didn't see anything about her. I just heard her voice. And, like, if that voice played, like, if it was in the – that's Yzma – that's a hundred percent Yzma. I don't care if I'm watching if it's Batman. Uh, if somebody was watching Six Six Batman, it would be a hundred percent Yzma to me. So that's where her voice is completely. And, and yeah, she has that moment of that when he passes. Like the, what is like? It's, this is what this movie does. It just like leans into it. He is dead. They're like doing all the things. Ah, ain't getting any better. And like it just moves on. So perfect. Such a perfect movie moment. And like. Just the design of her as well is really unique. So all the outfits, the headpieces, I love the turban. I love the long, long eyelashes with, like, the little clumps at the end really makes her and how she's described. Well, there was this big guy and the woman. How would you describe her? Oh, scary beyond all reason. <laughs> yeah. It's just a skeletal-looking like, thing. They lean into, like, how, like, yeah. bony and, like, scary she really is, like, at the time, like, there's villains that stand out, but, like, their actions kind of speak more than their, like, appearance. Yeah. But hers yeah. is, like, a lean into, like, real, like, kind of scary at times. <laughs> like, I'm like, whoa. That, <laughs> you could, you take, take your breath away. Like, when she has the, the. Oh, the cucumbers and, and the face mask. And, oh, <laughs> like, oh. Uh, so I bet you weren't expecting this and lifts up a bit of her dress to reveal the knife. Ah! <laughs> Again, comedy that just worked. It was, it's a little bit even before Shrek at that time, but they were leaning in. They were figuring something out in the animation yes. space that they could get more people in if they make adults laugh just as much as the kids. And that was something that I just didn't see coming. And yeah, you're right. When Shrek happened, it was like a game changer. But yeah, but this was like the first thing because when you're like, you watch, ah, it's just a knife, but it's like you don't know what you're about to see. So it's genius by them. One song. I have put one song. Uh, Empress in a Groove, it's not a musical. Maybe that's another thing why it sort of took away from making it so different from the other Disney films. Because even up to, say, Tarzan, we've had big music. We've got the Phil Collins soundtrack, obviously. So this is one of the ones that has really shifted away from that. And we see it again with Lilo and Stitch, where it's not a straight-up musical moment. So people think of it as a bit of a lesser film. But there are a few songs in it. So we get the opening with Perfect World and Tom Jones, which is fine. It's a fine song. Yeah. Um, my my funny friend and me gets nominated for an Oscar for best song. Go off. The Sting song at the end. I don't get it. Cody, you have any thoughts on the score or soundtrack at all? I think the score kind of works a little bit. Like yes. when they do like the chase scenes and like they do the little moments. But there's more like sound effect kind of things that play throughout for me. 
I, I never thought about that, Kelly. That's a really good point that I think that they went away from musicals so they kind of feel like lesser films to some people, which is impressive. And I think maybe, I mean, I don't think Tarzan had the effect on it, but like they leaned into heavy soundtrack. It's like Phil Collins oh, yeah. went full, full hard on that movie that didn't like equal the story compared to the music. And for me, that's where I've always sat on that movie. But this is like one that I was just like, yeah, Tom Jones is fine there. The nominated for the. But that's when I, because you sent me the questions, and I was sitting there, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to have an answer, really, for this one. I don't think the music's great. I even let the credits play, and I was like, that song kind of sucks, too. Like, yeah. I'm not fully on this one. So, yep. which is, I wish, like, I, I kind of am glad, because I don't think this movie works as a music. I don't think there's any points that you can add a song to it that would make me go, like, yes. But the songs they did use, I think, besides the Tom Jones one at the very beginning, because that's just ridiculous at that point. The rest, I, I just think, is just kind of bad choices, in my opinion. I don't know. I think that would be the only less point of that movie for me because I could have just like had an instrumental carry some of those moments along instead of like actual songs, you know. And the credit song is, yeah, no. I agree. <laughs> sorry, Sting. Sorry, Sting. No, I agree. There are some of the uh, musical moments I really like. Um, uh, as I said, when they're shaking hands and. The music is I can't I can't sing, but it's like a violin string going is going do 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 do. It's very uplifting. Yeah. So if you've seen this one a lot and grown up with it, I can hear that in a second and picture that scene. Or when right. they're on the hills in the countryside, there's some really nice music. And as we sort of said, like the chase scenes or the big production numbers that do have those big almost Vegas feel to it. Like it's a it's a show, it's a production. It's different to uh, Beauty and the Beast or Lion King, where we're getting those big, heavy orchestral moments because you need it to match. This is a comedy, so you need to have those more fun sounds to go along with it. Yeah, and I think that's Lilo and Stitch and Emperor because I consider oh, yeah. those two like top tier funny like uh, like movies from Disney. And I think that's the point because I think if you put anything in there, like the score from Disney movies are kind of, in my opinion, when people talk about film scores. Disney doesn't get brought up as much. Film scores are Lion King is like the best film score for me of all time. But like when I'm sitting there in this one, it's a comedy, so you don't really need anything. Yeah. You need to let the jokes play more than anything else. There's no really big like turning point. But like you said, once a scene happens, I could close my eyes and tell you exactly what's happening on scene if it was muted, like besides the score. So like I remember those. There was kind of like a nostalgia bring back when I heard those mm. parts. But yeah, it's one that. Honestly, doesn't need it. So, like, I don't right. miss it. But, yeah, it's still kind of weird that that song got nominated for an Oscar, which is just so weird to me. It must have been a down year for original songs, I guess. <laughs> Practically perfect in every way. Uh, Cody, any final thoughts on the film? Anything we haven't touched on? Um, as I've had really stated or inferred, I think this is the funniest Disney animated theatrical films. It's the first real comedy. The production, obviously, being a disaster, but the end product is phenomenal and i'm loving seeing all the respect it's finally getting years later is there anything we haven't touched on yeah nothing that we really touched on i i'm i'm so happy that this is like one that kids are finding now again i mean i would have killed for disney plus growing up like this is crazy mm. to me that, that we have all this at our fingertips now um which thankfully i can click on whatever i want and go to it but yeah i'm glad this one's finding the limelight again because again if you watch, if you like did a watch through Disney and you hit nineties and then you hit two thousands and started with those first two, and honestly after those two, like there's 
2000s Disney. I, I you'll be That's covering rough. it. You'll be covering it, if anything. Um, So I won't touch on my my main thoughts. But it it was was surprising how many duds they had, um, which I don't know the whole – I would love – that needs to be like a documentary series of why why 2000s Disney struggled as hard as it did. Um, But these are like – Lilo and Stitch and this are such a gem from that time frame that make the 2000s kind of worth it in Disney. Like those are – I'd rather not erase all. If it was race all to Disney, no, because I like the two that came that were so strong. And there's probably one that I'm missing, but yeah, it's it deserves its respect. It's not a complex film, but it has co- kind of complex characters, and I think the humor just still plays to this day. So if you haven't, if people haven't seen it or they've been waiting for a rewatch, honestly, after somebody that just watched it, I think it ages so well and kind of still like full. I, if this movie came out today, I don't know if you get away with that line, but like, it's funny. It's funny. It's humorous. I'd go check it out. It's a great time. I absolutely hadn't thought about the effect that Disney Plus will be having because we grew up when things were in the vault. So as we were sort of saying, when you had a DVD, you watched it to death. So that also adds to knowing all the quotes to it for us. So I don't know if, if I watch it offhandedly for the first time today, if I go back to it as much as what we did when we were growing up, because that was the option. And it was funny, and that's just what what you ended up putting on. So, uh, it's it's the Disney cult classic to me. That's the way I describe it. It is the cult yeah. classic of the Disney animated canon. That's so. a really that's a fantastic point because when you if somebody made their top ten list of Disney Disney movies, it probably doesn't hit many people's top tens. But it's like, but if it is like if you fell in that zone for it, it's probably in your top ten because it has some staying power that some of those movies don't like. And it's kind of weird. It didn't have like the hero, like it didn't have a hero story. It's the first, it's honestly the first anti-hero like Disney character that you're like on board for because everybody up to that is like, oh, the person you want to root for, the person you want to see succeed. No, you want to kind of get Cusco get dumped on his butt and like realize he's a jerk. And like, that's important. Like to see you, it's kind of an important lesson for kids, you know, don't be cocky. Like it's surprising that it's, I think it's, and it's since then, I don't know many anti-hero Disney movies off the top of my head. Like, I wonder, the one I see as a bit of a spiritual successor for some reason is Wreck-It Ralph in the sense that we get that um, narration at the start and I'm a bad guy and changing and not, uh, that buddy comedy sort of yeah. thing again. So. And, I, and that's one that I I do love too. So maybe mm. I just love the uh, – because it's, it's different than what you normally get from Disney, which is nice. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Cody, thank you so much for joining me today. I've had an absolute blast. Thank you for coming on. I had so much fun. I Disney. I, I'm I'm a mean guy most of the times, but Disney's kind of like my Achilles heel. I like to I like to talk about when I was a child and remember better times when my back. Good days. So, yeah. And we'll see you all next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod.